Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Anti-Bullying 101. This podcast is designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns. I'm your host. I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor, and I've designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief, as they battle the bullying epidemic. Enjoyed the podcast, everybody. again, everybody, and welcome back to Anti-Bullying 101. My name is Jim Burns, and I am pleased to be with you, to share with you information about bullying and the things that we can do, the steps that we can take. And I really want everyone to continue to be aware that bullying is everywhere. It is everywhere. It's in school. It's in the home. It's in the community. It's in the workplace. It's in politics. We have to be aware of that. And when you have grown people continuing to do it and and harass, intimidate, and bully, what ultimately happens is that you end up with children that will do it because they only follow our example. Uh, Please, if you haven't done so, uh, make sure that you take a look at, and I'll leave a link for this, This is the uh, Anti-Bullying 101 Premium Podcast, where you can get, okay, a bunch of stuff that you wouldn't get on our usual podcast, our free podcast. So I'll leave that link. Make sure you take a look at our store, the Bullyproof Classroom store, uh, and and you can get there, and I'll leave that link for you as well. We have about 100 products, and they're, they're all designed to deal with behavior management and bullying. Uh, and to help teachers um, deal with this in their classroom, parents too. But most of all, we want to make sure that everyone gets the help that they need in dealing with the problem. Be aware, these podcasts that we do don't run by themselves. They do require time, effort, and once in a while they require money because you have to deal with you know, the production of it. You may have to buy programs, do different things. So anything that you can do to support the podcast, I'll have another link there, and that's through Patreon. And if you can do that, we'd really appreciate it. Well, often, well, not often, but from time to time, um, at least once a month, we end up with a a guest on the show, uh, and the guests share such great information, and they share all kinds of uh, either... Uh, stories about themselves being bullied, trauma, how they're dealing with uh, certain issues right now in their life, whether it be a relationship issue or how they've been healing from certain things that have gone on in their life. And the healing process is a is a long process. Some I know myself, I'm still healing from some of the things that happened to me and I speak to my wife about it, they may have happened 50 years ago, but somehow or another, things always creep into our mind, and they have a way of kicking around in there, and we want to make sure that we can deal with what we're thinking, because they, the the thoughts only weaken us, and we want to stay strong for our families, for ourselves, and we also want to be strong as we move into the community as people of character. Today, we have Ryan Roy with us, and 
Ryan is a husband. He's got two kids, two young boys, ages three and nine. Uh, he's the owner of Justify or Just Do It Coaching, which focuses on accountability and taking action. And he's the author of the Amazon best-selling book, Be the Dad You Wish You Had. He's got a project on his bench right now that he's working on. It's called FBI Dads, and FBI standing for Fathers Being Involved. It's a program that helps fathers have a deeper connection with their children, and I think we all need some of that. We have to work on that connection with our children. Ryan, I welcome you to the show, and thanks for joining us today. Hey, Jim, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on the show today and uh, share a little bit of what I do uh, and uh, just hopefully empower at least one person who listens to this in one way, shape, form, or another. Well, I'm, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. Can you just give us a little background on your story? I mean, I know that, you know, from what you shared with me initially, you were abandoned at the age of five, but can you can you give us a little background on it and, and some of the the trauma that, that caused you? Yeah, absolutely. So as, as I shared with you, um, you know, early on in life, uh, my parents have been divorced um, and they had split custody. And uh, dad had me during the week and mom had me on the weekends. And it was right before Christmas that year. And I was at mom's house and I was, you know, I was, I was sitting there. I was a good kid, right? So I was telling her all the presents that I wanted under her tree, but also all the presents that Santa was going to bring under dad's tree. And in that moment, she took a pause and she said, I need to share something with you. And uh, she said, you will no longer be going to your dad's house. Mm. And there was a pause and. And I believe what she said next, or at least to the best of my recollection is she goes, but, but rest assured, you know, Santa's going to bring all the presents here. And I think that was mom's way of comforting me in that moment. When I look back and I've done some, you know, work in regards to that moment, when I, in that moment is when I felt abandoned by my father. Somebody once asked me, they said, well, how did you respond in that moment? Mm-hmm. And my response to that was, I believe I was just strong for my mother, which is no burden that any child, much less a five-year-old, has to take on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, moving forward, adolescence was difficult with a mom, you know, raising five children uh, without fathers themselves. Uh, all my siblings were uh, in and out of, you know, recreational drug use, getting arrested, uh, a lot of challenges. Uh, obviously, mom and a single family, uh, single parent uh, income, we struggled financially. Uh, you know, going through adolescence, I think I had a strong desire to have a father there. I luckily, as, as I was the baby, as I am the baby, I always, uh, I always said I wasn't going to do what my siblings did to my mom's. So just as, uh, as an example, my my next closest sibling, and I'm the baby, is seven and a half years older than I. So all of them are older, and they were much older. So as I was in my, you know, uh, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, they are, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. And I'm watching them, you know, basically just cause havoc to my mom. And I always said, I'm never going to do what they did to her. So I didn't get in trouble. I didn't, you know, I didn't use drugs. I, uh, I, although I hung out with some kids in high school and things of that nature that were partaking in that, I always created that boundary for myself and said I wasn't going to partake. You know, but the challenge for me growing up, once I got into early adolescence and, and, and then even a, a young adult, was I decided I made a conscious effort that I was never going to be a dad myself. Um, not that I didn't think I'd be a good dad. I didn't know that I knew what it looked like to be in a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. And without that healthy relationship, uh, I didn't want 
to bring a child into the world and go through the experience that I went through mm-hmm. um, of having a split household. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a, it's a little bit of background. Once in my thirties, uh, I met this amazing woman and uh, she's my wife today. And mm-hmm. Are you going to edit this? Because my printer's going nuts in the background. That's all right. Don't worry about it. I, we go through that all the time. Yeah. All right. Uh, my wife is printing something and she didn't realize I was on an interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see if that stops. Perfect. Um, so I met my wife. Uh, and one of the beautiful things about her is she's printing a million things right now. Sorry. One of the beautiful things about, go ahead. I'll, I'll keep going. I didn't know if you were picking that up. It seemed really loud in my ears. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, we always have a little bit of sound, a chair squeaking or something, and it, it didn't disrupt the, the message that you were, uh, that you were sharing. So please go right ahead. Yeah. So in my early thirties, having gone through a, a number of things, um, uh, a number of relationships, uh, I met my wife, uh, who she is today. Uh, and in that courting period, once we started getting things serious, my wife asked me, uh, she goes, I need to ask you a question. I said, what's the question? And she said, how do you feel about having children? And like any smart guy in that situation, knowing that I had made a vow to myself not to have children, I asked a very important question back to her. Well, how do you feel about having children? Because I wanted to know what her response was. And she told me in that moment that the doctors had told her that she had less than a 5% chance of ever having children. You know, Jim, uh, inside, I think I did a a fist pump and a backflip because I was falling in love with a woman who didn't have the ability or very small chance of having me face my greatest fear. And, and that was becoming a father. So I did what any smart man would do. And, and not too long after that, I asked her to marry me. Mm-hmm. When we got married, you know, we had that conversation again on our first night. And she said, well, what are we going to do about this children thing? And in the back of my mind, I'm like, there's no chance of it. So let's just have fun. Let's enjoy each other. Uh, let's travel. And and whatever happens, happens. Well, something happened. Six weeks mm-hmm. later, we conceived. Um, we were, we were married in, in October. And on New Year's Eve uh, is when we got the positive pregnancy test back. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I was excited because I felt as though I found the right person. Uh, a little fear crept in. And in that moment, I decided that I am going to be the opposite of what my father was. He was absent, that I would be fully present, and that I would have to define uh, what a great dad looked like. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of where the book title came in is be the dad you wish you had, Mm -hmm. because so many men say, I'm not going to be like my father. And unfortunately, we typically as human beings default to who or what we know. And if all we know is absent, like we give ourselves a pass and some that's why so many dads abandoned their own children because they were abandoned and they fear not knowing how to be a good dad. Uh, and, and they do nothing. Um, mm-hmm. So I defined it differently as being fully present. And then there's a lot more that goes into that for myself. So that's a little mm-hmm. bit of my backstory. Mm-hmm. Do you, you have a story eerily similar to mine, although my mother and father remained married. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, there was a lot of disagreement and fighting and so on. And I'm just, the one question that I have in caring for your mother, as it appears you uh, may have been one of the folks that was involved with that, maybe more than your uh, other siblings. Did you ever feel as if that you were getting uh, parentified where you were taking on too much responsibility for someone who was say nine, 10 years old? Uh, Did you ever feel like you were overwhelmed by the responsibility of taking care of mom? 
You know, I think that's a great question. And I don't, I don't know that I ever analyzed it that way, but if I were to look in retrospect, um, being the youngest, right. I think me, I know definitively I have three older brothers and an older sister and she's the middle child, right. She's the third child. Mm -hmm. I know 100% she feels that way. She always said, well, I had to do the laundry. I had to clean the house. I had to wash Ryan, right? Mm -hmm. um, because she was the girl. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know because there was such an age gap. I almost, it's, it's, it's almost as if I was an only child because they were off doing their own thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't know that I had added responsibility. I think I put that responsibility on myself to be a good kid, don't do things uh, that, you know, would make mom have to come to the school, right? She doesn't have time for that. She has to work and she has enough responsibilities. Uh, so I don't know that I felt overwhelmed, um, but I did put that responsibility on myself. And it still carries to this day. I, I put a tremendous amount of accountability as an accountability coach on myself mm -hmm. um, for my actions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think sometimes we can... Uh, myself anyway, I could end up doing too much uh, for everybody. And sometimes by doing too much, I don't give my children the opportunity to do and learn for themselves. Uh, it's almost as if we're constantly, or I wanted to anyway, run constant interference for any difficulty and never give them a chance to kind of grow up a little bit. And and I think it came because I had felt uh, overly responsible in the home for my dad, keeping an eye on him because he had a, a drinking problem uh, and, um, you know, keep watching him. They used to send me along with him when he would go out in order to keep an eye on him. So I was just wondering about that parentification. And you answered that question, that's for sure. Um you know, as as you grow up and as you move forward uh, in life, you you ended up you ended up meeting your wife at around uh, thirty, or you got married around thirty. Um, there was a period of time, probably between twenty and thirty. Um, and what did you do then? How were you involved with your self healing at that point? Because you know, if you meet somebody. And you're still in the process of healing. Um, that can be as much of a problem for a relationship uh, as someone who's not healed. So, what did you? How did you go about healing yourself to be able to manage through and meet your wife and get married and have the successful life that you have now? Yeah. So, another great question, and thank you for allowing me that space to answer it. So, I think every young man and even young woman, but, but especially for men, we want the approval of our fathers. And, you know, I had gone through school and I told you, I kind of immersed myself in not getting in trouble. And what that looked like for me is, is playing sports. Um, and, and to be quite frank, I, I was the only one, I am the only one who has ever graduated from college, but this is the reason why. Um, basically, I immersed myself in playing beach volleyball and volleyball at school, and, and I got really good at it. And there was a moment uh, where one of my uh, teammates on my team had a college scout coming to check him out. Now college was not on my radar. The expectation in my house was to gr graduate high school and go off to work, right? That's what everybody else had done before me. So college was never on my radar. So I had my best game the night that he had a, uh, a college scout. And then my coach, I said, Hey, how did Josh do? I mean, he had a great game. What do they think of him? They said, well, he's got the scholarship. And I was only a, a, a junior. I said, but they're interested in you also. Mm -hmm. So I went through school, played ball. Um, I actually left that school and continued my college career uh, by putting myself through school. Uh, I got a, a, a pretty good job. Uh, my degree's in finance. And I was going to be a financial advisor. And through all this, I started thinking to myself, wow, 
I want my dad to know about this. I mean, he created somebody in my mind at this, at this young age, I've done so much and, and I'm a good guy and I have a great career. And, 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 and this was my thought at the time. And, and, and he's got to want to be proud of me. So I asked my mom, or I basically made a decision to go see him. I told my mom that I was going to go see him. And I said, is there anything you want me to know? And she, you know, shared a few things as to why the breakup was and, and all kind of nothing, nothing that really stands out even to this day. So I went and I met him at the time I was living in South Florida. He's living in Connecticut where I was born. Um, and I basically poured my heart out to him for like four hours at his dining room table. I basically had a portfolio. I brought all of these albums of all my accolades and my diplomas and all the volleyball pictures. And, and, and then, you know, I basically said, you know, I just, I just want to share this with you. I, I wanted you to be proud of me. And, you know, I, I basically have one question. Why did you never show up? And he said, you know, I don't want to badmouth your mother. You seem like a pretty amazing young man. And, um, but I don't know that you're my, my son. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. And in that moment, I think I was strong again. And I don't know why this came over me. I said, well, if that's your belief, and I could understand why you wouldn't have been around, if that's your belief, would you take a DNA test? And he agreed because he said, I always wanted to know too. And back, obviously, in the 70s, when I was born, they didn't have DNA testing. It was just blood type, right? And there was a close enough blood type match that he could have been my father. Mm -hmm. So we got the DNA test back about six weeks later, and it was uh, conclusive that he was not my dad. Mm. So it leads me to go back to mom and ask the questions, but now I have scientific proof. And mom very nonchalantly told me who my biological father was, which created a lot of anger in me and a lot of frustration because I had already been abandoned by my father at age five. And here I am about 25, ready to face it. And I feel betrayed now by my own mother because she allowed me to go to a man who wasn't my father and confront him when I gave her an opportunity not to. But at the same time, now she goes, well, I have his number and I still talk to him often. If you'd like to talk to him, I could put you in touch with him. And I did that. I built up the courage about a month later to call him for him to tell me that it was all news to him. Mom made it sound like he knew. He's making it sound like it's news to him. And I, I honestly was really angry for about the next 10 years mm -hmm. because I wasn't getting any answers. But then I met my wife and, and we got married and, and I thought I did a lot of the healing. But when I found out I was going to be a dad, Jim, I realized that I had a lot more healing to do for me to be whole. And I started on this personal development journey and I went to uh, about three weeks before my son was born. I went to a personal development camp. And in that moment, they put us through this exercise that really broke us down emotionally and physically, really physically, which broke us down emotionally. And in this exercise, the man who was facilitating it, he said some very powerful things that basically changed, in my opinion, the trajectory of my life. He said, you know, your parents gave you the greatest gift they could ever give you. And that is life. After that, they don't owe you anything. He goes, and basically, you have to realize that if they broke you in any way or you're broken due to whatever they did, realize that they come from brokenness also. And it goes back generation to generation to generation. And it's a generational curse. And he goes, and right now you have the ability to break that curse. And he's speaking to a room of people, but it sounded like he was speaking to me personally. Mm -hmm. And he goes, so the best thing you could do to live your life wholly and differently, if you don't like where it is, is to forgive your parents for anything you feel as though they did wrong. Mm -hmm. I left that event. I came home to South Florida. I sat with my mother and I said, 
you know, I need to go meet my biological father as I hadn't done. And I said, so I need you to contact him and let him know I may be on his doorstep soon. And when I say soon, probably within 24 to 48 hours. So just let him know I'm coming. And that's all I said. And I think when I was at the airport about to fly out, I just left her a reminder. If you don't know by now, I'm at the airport. I'll be there in a few hours. I showed up on his doorstep. We had a long conversation about four hours once again. I remember when I got there, he says, I don't know what you want. I said, I don't either, but I'm about to be a father myself and I need to meet the man who made me. We had a lovely, great, cordial conversation. I saw a lot of myself in him. I offered him the opportunity to be in my life and uh, his new grandson's life. He kindly declined, basically saying it's been this way for a long time. And I'd rather keep it that way as he was 72 at the time. And I honored that. But I just thank him for allowing me the opportunity to talk to him mm -hmm. and wholeheartedly forgive him. Mm -hmm. Because once I forgave him for his absence and recognized that he came from brokenness, I think that's when I was able to become more whole for my own son. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's a, a terrific story. And one of the things that... Um, I've discovered, uh, Ryan, is that life, life starts and life ends. You got, you know, you're born and you die. I mean, that, that now what goes on in between is a continuous, um, continuous events that get started between us and our parents, us and our siblings, us and other people, those who could bully us, all kinds of different events that don't leave us angry, but they leave us bitter. Mm. And the bitterness is the uh, is deep seated, and we carry that with us into every other relationship. And my my wife, as, uh, as she is absolutely wonderful, and. Uh, she has said to me on uh, more than one occasion, like, you know, you're going to have an argument. You're going to have a fight. You're going to have a disagreement. Uh, our biggest thing is and what we try to do is figure out where is it coming from and what the what work do you have to finish so that you can get through 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 this argument that we have. In other words, was it a problem with your mother? Was it a problem with your father? Was it a problem with so, uh, some kid that picked on you uh, were, were someone hypercritical to you. And now I've criticized you. What has, what do you have to finish and to be with a spouse who will allow you to finish? They'll allow it they, because in order to do that, they can't take anything personally. They yeah. can't, they can't, they have to say, well, what do we, what do we got to finish? And they work along, they work along with you to allow you to do it is one of the most, uh, beautiful things that I've ever been through. I'm sure you're going through it now. Absolutely. Uh, based upon what you, you've shared with me. And it is just something that if everyone would be aware of it, it starts. And if you, if you don't finish, if you don't finish, you're going to carry it with you through your whole life. And you, you start it. And there was a point where you wanted to finish and your father wanted to finish and you finished it. You, you got it. You got it off the table. Do you love your father? Sure, you do. Are you going to see him again? Probably not. You know, but the bottom line is you finished the relationship. And that's what's beautiful about it. And that's a great story. It really is. Well, you know, and I'll, and I'll just share this with you. I think everybody longs for I still long for the day that he may pick up the phone and say he wants a relationship. And I kept the door open. I actually asked him, I said, would it be all right if I just kept in contact with you? Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, I think I'd like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so on Father's Day, I tend to send him a card and pictures of the kids at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, I send him letters, let him know that he has forgiven and that, uh, you know, I love him and I'd still like to hear from him. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh but he doesn't respond, right? And I respectfully do that. The reason I do this, because I can imagine some listeners say, why would you torture yourself? I've forgiven him. There's no torture. Mm -hmm. um, would I like it? Yes. I don't expect it. And I think too many people put expectations on things. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I know that when he passes and he will pass, right? And when I pass, uh, I will have no regrets because I will have done everything I could do to mend the relationship. Um, and I can't, I can't control anybody's actions except for my own. Mm-hmm. That's right. You got it. In, you got it a hundred percent right. Uh, and that's uh, like I said, great information. And the the other, uh, and and I'm not sh- how how old are you? How old are you? I'm just. I just turned forty five. Just turned forty five. So I'm twenty years older than you. I'm more than that. Uh, and the interesting thing is, I was uh, sharing with uh, with Pat and my sister as well. Um, my my father died when I was twenty one. Uh, and my mother died. Uh, she's been gone now for um, 17 or 18 years. And there comes a point that, I mean, at least where I, I got to, where I said, that is all behind me. And my uh, work now is being the leader of this house working with my kids, working with Pat, you know, and so on. That's the most important thing. I'm in a position right now where, you know, my, uh, I have to take care of my kid. I don't have to worry about, you know, my relationship with my parents, my relationship with my parents with both of them ended beautifully. Mm-hmm. There was no question, but now I have to say to myself, you because it's difficult for people who were abused or came from alcoholic environments or whatever. You are the one now. You're the guy. You're the one that's running this thing. You're the one that's taken over. You're the one that your children look up to. I'm what, what, whatever was behind me is all gone. I'm the one that has now moved into the gap that my parents were in. So, so if I can't, I can no longer waste my time worrying about, you know, my own uh, baggage that I once carried. I have to be sure that I do everything to make sure that my kids don't end up with baggage mm-hmm. uh, and work with them so that they can be. And my, my two older daughters are doing great. I, and I'm very proud of both of them. And Zoe's doing well too. She's, she's 10 and she's growing beautifully. So I'm feeling pretty good about things. And I think that um, I think that you are as well in terms of the work that you've done. I still have ways to go. I got a three and a nine year old. (laughs) I always say people tell me I'm doing a great job. I said the proof will be in the pudding 25 years down the road. Yeah. yeah, Sometimes the proof is in the pudding. Okay. Uh, When you look at um, your grandchildren, then you'll say that that's there's the real proof because at least I taught them enough to be able to raise their own kids. Uh, now you ended up uh, involved in your kid's school. Uh, you were, you're helping your son out. You know, he's had some experiences with bullying and so on. And uh, your, your approach to the whole thing is if you're involved, my kid's going to get bullied far less. Yes. So how do you involve yourself? Yeah. So, you know, he turned five years old. He was going into elementary school. My wife was super nervous about this transition, right? Her little baby's going off into the world. And I remember going to the school in an open house night and, uh, and she was at the PTA table signing up for, you know, whatever she needed to sign up for so that she could be involved. And one of the ladies in the PTA, she says, Dad, we have a dad's program at the school where we read to the classrooms. You know, it's called FBI Dads. And I was like, that's fantastic. Sign me up. So I put my email address down and, and I was really excited to hear how I could be involved at, the, at, at my son's school. I waited next to the computer. You know, like almost as if I had asked a girl out and I gave her my phone number and waiting for her to call me, you know, uh, for weeks. And finally, an email came through and it said, hey, we're having an FBI dad's meeting and FBI stands for fathers being involved. And I showed up that night. It was a Tuesday night at 6 p.m. at the school. There was nobody in the parking lot. I thought I'd gone to the wrong place. And some guy came out and he says, uh, you here for the dad's program? I said, I am. Am I in the wrong spot? He says, no, this is it. We'll wait about 10 more minutes, but I don't expect anybody else. 
And I said, what do you mean? I said, this is FBI dads, fathers being involved. And he goes, you know what? The dads just don't get involved. And in my gut, Jim, in my heart of hearts, I knew that to be wrong because I wanted to be involved. Mm-hmm. But my immediate thought was maybe they're not involved because you sent out one email two months later. You know, nobody knows. I was waiting for it and it took forever to come. Maybe there needs to be better communication. So long story short, the FBI dads program had started in the school many years earlier uh, uh, and it was on its last leg. Um, I decided to take over the program and I grew it from me and that one guy to over 400 involved fathers at my son's school. Mm. And what does the program look like? It's, it's three levels. The first level, which I brought to the school, first it, it had one level we read to classrooms. Uh, and I said, why don't, if we're all showing up to school, why, why don't we have the dads have breakfast with their kids while we're waiting to get into the classrooms? We used to just wait in the foyer. Why don't we just go and have breakfast with our kids? So now we've, we're sponsored by uh, Krispy Kreme Donuts and Krispy Kreme supplies the donuts for these breakfasts. Uh, I do an interactive program where we learn a lesson like uh, uh, integrity or sportsmanship or community. We use a word and we do a lesson around it. Uh, and then, you know, I get the kids rowdy and riled up and the dad's rowdy and riled up and we give away prizes. And then on uh, half of those, we do six of those a year. And on half of those, we send the dads off to read to the classrooms. Mm-hmm. And that's two levels. So breakfast, reading. Uh, three times a year. And then we have a community uh, cleanup days at the school where the dads get to roll up our sleeves and, you know, whether we drop pine straw or pull weeds or mulch things or you know, whatever it, the school needs this, this year, a couple months ago, they needed sanitation stations as we're in COVID, mm-hmm. right? And there were a cost of $500 per station. The school needed 10. So we built them for less than $75 a piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we got a bunch of dads together. Um, so that's FBI dads, the program. And, and it's just been a tremendous success at my son's school. It's won awards for the school. I've gotten a couple awards for it as we're four years strong now. Uh, so much so that I'm getting asked, how do we put it into other schools? Because every school needs this because mm-hmm. with dads in the, classroom statistics have proven when there's more male role in uh, male role models involved in a school that test grades go up that camaraderie goes up that commitment and 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 self-esteem goes up to the to the kids and all of those things now that we have a test of time Mm -hmm. all of those things have happened at our at my son's school um Counselors say that, uh, you know, the kids aren't in their office as much. Principal visits are down. Uh, Grades are up. Test scores are up. And I don't know that it's not solely attributed to the dad's program, but I know that it plays a role. Mm -hmm. It sure does. Yep. And uh, hats off to you. That's an absolutely stellar program. Um, And um, uh, you should be proud of yourself. Uh, You're uh, son should be proud of you, your wife, everyone for the work that you've done there. It's tremendous. It really is. Thank you. You, you have this, um, the dad's daily four. What are the four things parents can do to empower kids? Yeah. So, uh, so the dad's daily four is a simple four minute exercise that doesn't have to happen consecutive four minutes. And in an FBI dad's breakfast, I actually use one of these tools that I'll share with your audience now um, is it's four simple things that we should say or do in actions to our kids every single day that will help raise their self-esteem, help them feel more loved. uh, And when they feel more loved and their self-esteem is high, guess what? They could go out there and be productive members of society. It's Mm -hmm. real simple. Mm-hmm. So the dad's daily four consists of these four things. Tell your kids every day that you love them. Mm-hmm. Dads, listen to what I just said. So many men that, that I meet and talk to in my line of work and being involved in the dads and the research I've done is they say, my father never told me he loved me or he told me once 
and they can tell you the date, the time, uh, what happened, what they were wearing, because it was so rare and they longed for it so much. So don't assume your kids know you love they that you love them. Tell them. Mm-hmm. Second one is tell your kids that you believe in them. So I was telling you before we started recording that I was building a robot with my son. He's mm-hmm. nine years old. He's out of school. It's winter break right now. And he says, hey, dad, can you do this? No, I said, I believe you can do it, right? I empower him. I believe that you can do it. And he tried. And guess what? He did. Mm -hmm. But before I told him I believe that he could do it, he wanted me to do it. Mm -hmm. I empowered him. Mm -hmm. The third thing, and that's just one small example, tell your kids you believe in them. Mm -hmm. And it goes along with this next one. I trust you. Mm -hmm. I trust you that you can do this. I trust that when you go outside of these doors, you're going to make good decisions. I, I hear too many times just being in hallways at schools or, or around other, you know, parents, I can't trust you to do anything. Well, guess what? If you don't trust them, who will? And it's your job to empower them with the skills so that you can trust them. So trust yourself to empower them and start trusting your kids. Mm -hmm. And the last one, and this is the one that I share from stage every single time I do one of these FBI dads events, is I say, dads, face your kids eye to eye, at eye level. You know, they're usually on benches in the cafeteria. And I say, I want you to face each other. None of this just turning your head. Face, look them in the eye, meet them eye to eye, face to face. It's powerful, first of all. Mm -hmm. They don't know that. But I say, I want you to finish this sentence. I am proud of you because. And when you tell your kids you're proud of them, for whatever it is, dads, moms alike, pick up the clues throughout the day. Hey, what'd you do in school today? Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, Johnny was on the playground and somebody came up and pushed him. And I kind of got in front of him and said, don't push my friend. Wow, that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And when I typically do this and, you know, anybody could take it, but I, I do this every night. I tell my son every night that I'm proud of him for, and I usually give five things, mm-hmm. but it's because I listen to him and ask questions throughout the day. Today's, today's, I am proud of you. Well, probably your tonight's, I am proud of you will be, Hey, I'm proud of you for building almost that entire robot all by yourself. Mm-hmm. You needed very little help from dad. I was there to guide. But you did it all on your stuff, all on your own, and I'm proud of you for that. Mm. So if kids can hear, I love you, I trust you, I believe in you, and I'm proud of you on a daily basis, consistently, they're going to grow up with self-esteem that they know that dad and or mom has their back and that they believe in them. And I think that's invaluable. And I would love to gift that to your entire audience And all people need to do is go to fbidads.com forward slash burns to pick up a copy of that in PDF form. Okay. All right. Uh, This is your chance right now, Ryan. I want you to share with us. Well, you could share things that are going to empower my audience. But what I'd like you to also do is share your social media contacts, share your uh, website, share anything that you would like to share that would bring people to your content so that they can get the help and the empowerment they need in dealing with their own children. So there you go. What are you going to empower us with and where do we got to go to get all this power? So there's all kinds of ways that you can get in touch with me depending on what you need. If you wanted some type of coaching and I do impact my clients with parental coaching, uh, but just accountability in life and what you want to accomplish is, is kind of what I focus on uh, in five areas of your life. You could go to justify or just do it.com and you could, you know, get a free complimentary uh, session with me to see if it would be a good fit. If you're interested in my book, or my podcasts, you could go to 
be the dad you wish you had.com to find out all kinds of content that I have going on. Or if you're interested in the FBI Dads program itself and bringing one to your child's school or would be interested in attending a virtual one, you could go to fbidads.com. But I encourage everybody to go get the free resource because it's a very simple thing. Um, and uh, it's a great reminder of how we can empower our kids. And I want people to take baby steps before before they take leaps and bounds. Amen, brother. That That's really good stuff. That's really good stuff. This was a great interview. And I'm saying this up front. I don't care if my audience hears it or not. But if you're listening, if, if you're going to listen to this interview, uh, you're already doing the right thing. Uh, but I will send out my uh, information to get people to to begin to really listen to this, uh, because I think that's something that everyone needs to hear and everyone needs to uh, get your resources and begin to really make a difference. Um, I thank you for being on the show. Uh, I, I truly, you, you've enlightened me and I'm sure you've enlightened my audience and uh, you should, um, hey, I, I don't know what else to say other than be proud of yourself, man, for the work that you're doing and the work that you continue to do and the growth that you've achieved because not everybody can do it, and, and but you did. And I congratulate you on all your efforts. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a joy to share my story. And, and uh, like I said, if this hits one person in a way that they make a shift in a positive way to impact their lives and their family and their children – then uh, it was well worth it. Ryan, I appreciate it. I hope that we stay in touch uh, and that we uh, can continue to share resources uh, because uh, I believe we uh, that we can really help one another. So thank you once again for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Jim. Take care of yourself, my friend. That was Ryan Roy. Uh, and he was uh, a tremendous resource. His story is compelling, and he basically uh, made l lemonade out of lemons. He had a rough upbringing. He had some, you know, abandonment issues. He had a lot of different things going on, but if you use him for your example, and just think about it, how you can change your own behavior. The number one, you have to want to do it. And that's what he really wanted to do. And he wanted to create a better life for his children. And he has done that through FBI dads. He's done it through the um, Justified program. He's done it through his a coaching program. He's done it through a host of different things. And you, if you need help and you need somebody to reach out to, here's a resource for you. And make sure that you use his uh, outlets to be able to get you some help if, in fact, you need it, if you have some issues that are kicking around that have... Um, uh, resulted in difficulty, issues from childhood that have resulted in difficulty for you as an adult. And here's an example of someone who did it, and the proof is it can be done. You know, I often say there are reasons and there are excuses. There's a lot of reasons why we turn out the way that we do, but we can't excuse the behavior, and we have to learn to change our influence to that genetic or that environmental predisposition that we have. And if we can change our response to that influence, as he did, okay, our lives will be much better going forward, and things will look a whole lot better to us year after year and day after day. As he said, you got to take baby steps. you got to slowly grow and evolve into the new you 
so that you can be successful in relationships and with your children. My name is Jim Burns. You've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101. I appreciate you as my listening audience. Uh, As always, we'll we'll see you in the next episode, which will be next week. We're going to be covering the next five topics in a classroom or our schools are filled with kryptonite. So we'll be right there. We'll be dealing with that uh, next week. We're also doing a, a bunch of other stuff. So stay, stay around. I am on uh, Clubhouse right now, and I'm going to be starting an anti-bullying one-on-one room. And there's another room that I'm going to start. And I'm in the process of writing another book, and it's going to be called Monologues. Uh, over the course of the last, I'm going to say, 30 years as a teacher, but moreover, 50 years from the time I was a kid, 60 years now, uh, I developed a host of stories that have stemmed from my time being raised over a bar, Burns's Tavern, time that I had when I was in school, time that I had when I was working as a teacher, administrator, and some of the insights that I gathered. No particular order for any of these um, stories, because there just can't be. But Monologues is going to come out probably in the next few months, and uh, I look forward to it. I'm in the process of putting it together right now. So keep an eye out for that. Once again, my name is Jim Burns. Thank you for listening to Anti-Bullying 101, and I'll see you in the next episode.